So many of our words sprang from their rich language that a Greek prime minister once gave an entire speech in English using only Greek-derived words. Yes, the Greeks brought us democracy, science, and philosophy, but we can also thank or curse them for written contracts, silver and bronze coins, taxes, writing, schools, commercial loans, technical handbooks, large sailing ships, shared risk investment, absentee landlordism. Nearly every part of our lives is inspired by the Greeks, including the very notion of inspiration. We think and feel differently because of the Greeks, concludes historian Edith Hamilton. My taxi stops in front of a tired three-story building that, except for a small sign that says, Tony's Hotel, is indistinguishable from all the other tired three-story buildings. I step into the alleged lobby, a white-tiled room that looks more like someone's basement, piled high with rickety chairs, broken coffee machines, possessions you no longer need but, out of sentimentality or inertia, can't bear to part with. Like Greece itself, Tony's hotel has seen better days. So has Tony. The Greek sun has etched deep lines on his face. The Greek cuisine has inflated his gut to monumental proportions. Tony is all rough edges and sweetness, a throwback to an older drachma Greece, less Euro, more endearing. Like many Greeks, Tony is a natural performer. He speaks a little more loudly than necessary and swings his arms in large theatrical motions, no matter how mundane the topic at hand. It's as if he's auditioning for Greek Idol all the time. I plop down on my bed and thumb through the small library of books I've packed, a whimsical collection curated from the vast ocean of ink that ancient Greece has spawned. My eyes are drawn to a quirky little volume called Daily Life in Athens at the Time of Pericles. It's a pleasing antidote to the usual history, which is written from a mountaintop and as dry as a desert. Historians typically track wars and upheavals and sweeping ideological movements like so many weather systems. Most of us, though, don't experience weather that way. We experience it down here, not as a massive low-pressure system, but as sheets of rain that slick in our hair, a crack of thunder that rattles our insides, a Mediterranean sun that warms our face. And so it is with history. The story of the world is not the story of coups and revolutions. It is the story of lost keys and burnt coffee and a sleeping child in your arms. History is the untallied sum of a million everyday moments. Within this quotidian stew, genius quietly simmers. Sigmund Freud, nibbling on his favorite sponge cake at Vienna's Café Landmann. Einstein, staring out the window of the Swiss patent office in Bern. Leonardo da Vinci, wiping the sweat from his forehead at a hot and dusty Florentine workshop. Yes, these geniuses thought big, world-changing thoughts, but they did so in small spaces, down here. All genius, like all politics, is local. From this new terrestrial vantage point, I learned much about the ancient Greeks. 
I learned that they loved to dance and wonder what exactly transpired during such numbers as stealing the meat and the itch. I learned that before exercising, young men would swath their bodies with olive oil and that the manly smell of olive oil in the gymnasium was considered sweeter than perfume. I learned that the Greeks wore no underwear, that a unibrow was considered a mark of beauty, that they enjoyed grasshoppers both as pets and as appetizers. I learned a lot, but besides these peccadilloes, I learned what the Greeks produced, not how they produced it, and it is the how that I am determined to nail down. But first, I need something the ancient Greeks didn't have. Coffee. The nectar of the gods shouldn't be imbibed just anywhere, though. Location matters. For me, cafes are a kind of second home. A prime example of what...